Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise. Chapter 2, a staff judge advocate's perspective from Naval Forces Central Command. Lieutenant Jen Johnson alongside Lieutenant Danny Manguel from the NAVSINT 5th Fleet Legal Office in Bahrain. We're recording this podcast with Captain Shane Cooper, the Force Judge Advocate. We're here to talk with Captain Cooper to share lessons learned, experiences, and insights into the JAG community. Good morning. I'm happy to be here and look forward to the chat. All right. Captain Cooper, you've primarily served as a staff judge advocate over the course of your career. What drew you to these types of assignments and what do you like about them? Um, I think for me, uh, the uh, the SJA um, uh, duties are, are really uh, interesting to me because they pose uh, sort of these um, sort of short fuse problems on a daily basis. And when you walk in the door to go to work, uh, you don't quite know what's going to hit you that day. So I, I really like that dynamic uh, work environment. Uh, so perhaps it's just more based on personality and, and the type of work you like to do. Um, I also uh, like being part of a uh, larger Navy organization or staff where perhaps the SJ is just one element of a larger group um, where you're trying to uh, accomplish uh, the mission. So I really feel like you're contributing uh, in a positive way uh, for fleet operations on a daily basis. Um, what I've learned over time in, in each of the assignments is that the SJA job doesn't necessarily um, uh, change as far as the way it's structured or the type of things you see from from um, uh, job to job, but depending on the mission and the um, the focus of the particular staff that you're with, um, that can also uh, be dynamic and different from what you did before. So I really like the fact that uh, that being an SJA keeps you on your toes. Um, I also like uh, being able to be part of a greater team um, with a wide range of folks. And I've also enjoyed just being in these uh, fleet shops that I've been working in where perhaps in some of the smaller shops it might be you and, and one legal man and then as you go to other places it might be a team of you know five judge advocates and a legal man like we see here at Fifth Fleet. Uh, but I've, uh, you, you develop a real strong sense of camaraderie within your code or within your SJA team. So I guess uh, to sum it all up, it's, it's, to me it's about the dynamic uh, work environment and then the people that you're working with. Great. Sir, what would you say are some of the successful traits of being a good staff officer or a good SJA? Um, yeah, I've, I've thought about this over time. Not necessarily, uh, you know, every day you think specifically about how to be a good staff officer, but over time as you make mistakes and things don't necessarily work out exactly like you wanted them to when you're working various projects on the staff or Perhaps when you see an effort not go as well um, or you let your, um, let's say, your leadership down because things don't work out well, it makes you reflect and think back, uh, how could I do that better next time? And it kind of comes down to some very basic things that I think I've uh, observed over time. Um, One thing is just being a good teammate as, as a staff officer. Usually you are working for one code amongst many codes and you're all trying to get to the same a goal, which is success for uh, the organization and getting the mission done. 
and getting the mission done while, at least from the SJA perspective, getting it done within the bounds of, of applicable um, you know, regulations and statutes and rules. Um, so when you say about being a good teammate, I think there's a sense of uh, professionalism. Um, as a naval officer, you know, we're, we're supposed to be leaders and, um, and reflect good judgment, um, having good decorum, getting along well with your teammates. It's easy in a, um, in a dynamic, stressful work environment to, to get into, let's say, potential squabbles with your other staff codes or even in-house. Um, and so you have to just take a step back and breathe and uh, make sure that, that at all times you're, you're being the type of uh, teammate that you would want to work with. Um, and I think over time you find that, that you generate the goodwill in the office by doing that. Um, the other thing is, for me, it's about being uh, eternally optimistic. Um, that typically in the staff, when you're faced with stress or, or uh, what might seem like an insurmountable mission, you always uh, have to have that sense that you can definitely overcome and get that job done. So I like to bring uh, some optimism to it. Um, I, I also think that there's this concept of being on the staff and, and, uh, and sort of having this sense of, um, of reason buy-in. I don't know how to describe it, but what I mean by that is your boss and your staff and the organization has a mission. And you need to be that staff officer that understands that goal and that mission, and then you completely buy into that. However, <clears throat> doing that with a critical eye. So you don't want to be a yes person um, where everything's a yes, and you're particularly in the staff certificate lane. But at the same time, you don't want to be the, um, the curmudgeon that's always the naysayer that is throwing rocks at the plan if you will, and, and not necessarily buying in at some point. So, so you learn to, I think, as a staff officer to um, bring in the mission uh, and, and really adopt it as something that you support uh, and then make sure that you provide that critical uh, look at that plan or the mission and provide that feedback to the commander. Um, and ultimately, as the SJA, you also need to have a, a view of the bigger picture that where the organization's trying to go so that you can then tailor your advice to your leadership to be able to help them get to where they need to be. Um, many times, it's le at least I've seen in the legal lanes, um, we really live in a land of constraints and restraints where we can see the issues that are going to potentially prevent our leadership and our organization from getting to where they want to go. Yet by understanding what those obstacles are, we also understand the end state that they desire and that we're the ones that can provide some value added to give them advice on how to get to the same end state but maybe not go through that particular obstacle that, that you know you by let's say regulation or statute or law you can't necessarily uh, overcome in a particular way. So I like to think of it um, that way. Um, so you know bottom line uh, you know when you say effective staff officer um, or a good SJ, I like to think that it's someone uh, who is um, uh, who's a good teammate, who's optimistic, who's um, bought into what the mission uh, is for that that organization, um, and is someone you want to work with. You know, um, I I see this for the JOs in the crowd. I, I see these two. Uh, I see Danny and, and Jen. Uh, you know, point at themselves as modeling that behavior, and I would agree with that. You both are awesome. Thank you for describing me, sir. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> what, besides Danny and I, what are some of your challenges of being an SJA? Uh, 
Yeah, so, uh, yes, besides you and Danny, no, uh, it's the challenge of being an SJ. Um, I think it's the fact that uh, you, I, what I describe is what I love about the job. Um, you walk in every morning and I have a list, I think you both have lists too, where we're going to get these five things done today. These are the, the, the top things we need to get there. And inevitably, I walk in and my list changes based on the priorities of the team and the staff, and then that usually means your priorities change too, uh, based on the issues that come up. So I think the challenge of being SJ is being able to juggle multiple requirements and multiple things at one time, and then being able to prioritize what are the most important things to the organization and to the team uh, to get those done. And then sometimes being faced with a, um, a problem or a, or a fact set that is, at least at first glance, completely new and unusual to you. And then you have to get your bearings about you to, to analyze it and then try to fit it into maybe a doctrinal bin to understand how I'm going to deal with the problem. Sometimes that might be because another staff code comes in with a problem through the door and you have to walk through the issue with them and decipher the facts and then try to get it to a place where we can understand the problem. Um, so I think the, the challenge uh, uh, is being a, uh, supposed as being a problem solver. Um, I think if you like solving uh, problems or riddles or puzzles, I think being an SJ is, is great. I also think that it's a very busy, dynamic environment, so you have to have a uh, discerning eye to know when there's an issue that requires the most attention right now. Um, I think an analogy I've given in the past to others is that there are a thousand balls in the air when you're an SJ. It feels like that at least. Um, but some of those are rubber and they'll bounce, you'll miss them, they'll bounce on the floor, they'll come back and it's okay. But others are crystal and if you drop that one, that's not, probably not a good thing. So you have to, uh, over time and experience, you, and just talking to fellow staff members that you're working on an issue with, you'll have to be able to recognize which one are the crystal balls that I need to get onto right now and handle with care and then which ones are the rubber balls that we can let go for the day and we'll figure it out later. Sir, <clears throat> sometimes uh, in the Navy we can have this culture, this get-to-yes culture. Uh, how do you handle delivering advice or news to a flag officer or leadership, particularly when it's advice or news that they maybe don't want to hear? Yeah, that probably poses one of the uh, tougher challenges, uh, going back to the last question, for an SJ. And I think the approach depends a lot on the boss you work for. That's what I think I've learned. I've worked for uh, a number of different leaders, and I've recognized over time that every leader is a little bit different in their way in which they um, take information, they process information, and then make decisions. So I've, I've learned over time to, to tailor my approach to that boss while holding fast to, to certain principles, and that is that you always owe it to speak uh, truth to the power. Um, and I think earlier in my career as a younger SJA, um, I think that that was more challenging uh, when you're faced with that first time, let's say, of having to provide uh, information to the leader <clears throat> or advice to the leader that you know isn't going to be received well. Um, and then over time, you sort of develop a muscle memory, if you will, or a habit of being able to uh, provide that advice. Um, so what, um, what has helped me in the past is that when I am faced with one of those challenges, I remember that as an SJ, you're never alone. 
you may be in your own shop with your with one paralegal and, and advising a boss, but you always have uh, judge advocates that are in your immediate superior in command, your ISIC SJA. Um, you always have your phone a friend JAGs that you can trust that you've worked with in the past that will be able to chat with you and give you some advice. And, and I think all of us have mentors that you've worked with that you feel like you could call on the phone today and say, hey, can I run a hypothetical by you or can we talk about this one? I, I don't quite know what to do. And they'll help provide you that reinforcement, if you will, to validate that what you're thinking is the right advice you need to provide and then offer you some, some ways uh, to do that. Um, but no matter the style that the boss takes that information and in, I think obviously the, some of the main things is you need to be direct about it. <clears throat> um, you need to uh, you know, ask for that time as an SJA, uh, as one of uh, his or her counselors and, uh, and do the 1v1 one, one one and, and deliver the news and the advice. Um, be ready for the feedback from the, from the leadership. Maybe they'll say or provide more information to you that you hadn't considered and, and you'll continue to, uh, to analyze the issue. But at the end of the day, you provide your best recommendations um, to the boss. And if you do that advice in the spirit of uh, for the benefit of the organization and for the benefit of that leader, because you're looking out for that leader's well-being, 95% um, of the time it will be received the way it should be, which is with, with gratitude because they know that you are looking out for them. Um, I, I, did I get to everything about that question, or is there anything else that maybe I should have covered? Yeah. You I think about? so, sir. Yeah. I mean, because I, I, this comes up quite a bit when you talk to folks, right? Is, uh, I know you, you know, both of you have had to advise our chief of staff from time to time, or when I'm not around, you're able to go into the admiral's office here, either the one-star deputy or the three-star, and, and sometimes deliver news that they're not, that you know is not awesome news. Um, but I think we understand the judge advocates, perhaps different than other staff officers, um, and this is where uh, it depends a little bit on your job description. Um, where we have this incumbent duty to provide them with accurate, clear, concise advice about what the uh, obstacles, constraints, regulations, laws that might exist for them that they need to be aware of because if they act without knowing that, and many times they just don't know that that is out there, um, that will be detrimental to the mission later on. Um, and in other areas of operations, perhaps there's some flexibility, perhaps there's this operational waiver that can be um, granted, or there is a, a judgment or a discretionary call that can be made. And we have that situation too in, in our line of work as well, but sometimes there are those sort of uh, hard and fast situations where, where you provide that advice. Um, the other thing I'd say is I mentioned this thing about muscle memory and habit, um, and, this, and another theme that goes with this about providing advice. It, it's about having uh, moral courage uh, when you need to, like I said before, speak truth to power. I, I don't really view that as one of those you have it or you don't qualities. <clears throat> I really view it as one of those um, uh, skill sets or, 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 or habits that you develop by doing it over time in a repetitive way, um, following a process that you know is correct. And it's almost like working out or something. It's like uh, you build up this um, strength, if you will, to provide that good, spot-on advice uh, um, based upon your uh, moral courage, if you will, and you do it over a repeated number of time, and you become better at doing that, and, and it becomes more natural to you. 
And so, like I said, I think when I was younger in a new SJA, which this sort of was new territory for me to shut the door and provide, you know, whatever frank advice I need to provide. Um, and now, um, I think after having done it for, for a while, um, I'm more comfortable doing it uh, now. Absolutely, sir. Um, from our experience here at NAVSET, the days tend to be busy and dynamic with a lot of different issues each day. There's always something that's thrown at us throughout the day. How do you prioritize efforts as an SJ, and what are your suggestions to, to new SJs on how to prioritize efforts um, throughout a very, as, as you've described, you know, busy, hectic schedule each morning? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one um, because I sometimes wonder if I do it right or not. Uh, I think we all develop our own habits of organization. Um, I'm amazed at how organized uh, you two can be sometimes. Um, just, just you have all of us. We work just differently. It's based on your personalities and your styles, right? So, uh, if I talk about and I will in a moment about maybe exactly how I do it, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what should work for for every SJ. But I do kind of go back to that analogy about the the thousand balls in the air and, and being able to, with a discerning eye, pick out the ones that are going to matter if they fall and uh, and drop, and the ones that don't. Uh, and what I tend to do, as you can see in, in our office, is this. Uh, the crazy whiteboard system that we have, where under each of your names, your portfolios, if you will, we know different tasks that are laid out. And that just to me throws it all out there. <clears throat> These are the things that exist. These are the things that we, we get done. Some of it is uh, daily housekeeping matters, right, that you probably don't see on the board. These are just things that you do. You know, if uh, Danny, as you work the ethics portfolios, I know there are buck slips that come in every day that you process and we know you do that. And Jen, working administrative matters, military justice matters, there are cases that you handle and advice you give. And that's what I call the daily housekeeping stuff. Uh, but then from time to time, uh, there'll be one of those um, questions that come in the door from the client. And in my mind, we're not doing a great job as a legal office if we're just focusing on the stuff that matters internally to our own mechanisms. Uh, but it matters that we're providing answers to the other staff elements to empower them to get their job done. So. In a lot of ways, I view this as a customer service uh, uh, element of the staff. So I kind of naturally uh, flow to any outside questions of us as, as taking a higher uh, uh, priority. And then obviously, if you're getting the question from the front office, you know, from the commander or from the deputy commander, those tend to then go, you know, way higher up in priority because they deserve, you know, the answers, our best answers, as early as we we possibly can give them. So. So uh, you almost look at it as like a triage perspective of, of, um, of who or what is, is uh, benefiting from the task and then prioritizing it that way. And then the other one I always look at is just the time element. So you might walk in the door with a question that is not that super important, but they need an answer today versus something that is super important but they don't need the answer till next week because of an uh, evolution that's happening. And quite frankly, because it's so important, you need some time. You just can't shoot from the hip on a particular one. You, you should try not to shoot from the hip ever, but there are simpler questions that you can probably verify quickly by looking at an instruction versus something that you need a little more time. You're gonna have to talk to a staff officer, get more facts, do some research, et cetera. So I sort of look at it from the time horizon of what to do today, what's about to fall off the plate, and then, and then uh, uh, who's asking and why and then you also look at the consequence too like what is the consequence of this not happening if I can't get to this advice uh, or do can I get an extension so a lot of times you'll get a question from a fellow staff officer and one of the first few questions I may ask is when do you need this by 
um, and and uh, and that way and then why what exactly will this answer feed to you know is this because you're curious or is this because it's got to go into a PowerPoint slide that's going to go on a brief to a higher level um, so I just lay out to you things that are in my head as I try to, to prioritize um, and and that's all well and good when you're the sole SJA at a, at a command you tend to be able to control that horizon and, and that world and you learn those, those skills of, of managing yourself frankly and your paralegal um, what I found really enjoyable about working at a staff like NAVCENT is um, I've, we've met a job here, or there is a job here where not one person can do it all. So I've been in other jobs as an SJ where I felt like I could handle the SJ job by myself. So all I do is manage myself in, in my time, time right? Um, and maybe that was, maybe in, in some cases that means you work longer hours when maybe you shouldn't, but, but you do because it's just your time. Now, now when you're at a NAVCENT job where you have five lawyer team and you know you as one person can't do it all, you then trust and delegate to the, the other smart folks here, like you two, to get that job done. And it's a, it's a really a, a, an interesting perspective to have to be able to sort of um, uh, just delegate and trust that, that the other lawyers that you have that are super competent are gonna take care of it. I don't know how many times now that I will uh, get a question from perhaps an 06 on the staff, and I know that Jen's working it, or Danny's working it, or Tony Miani's working it, or Dayton Kirkenbaum is working it, and I have very little uh, knowledge of what that issue is specifically at that moment in time, but I have to trust and I know that one of you do, and I'm able to dispatch you to that person or that issue to talk to that issue for me, and then bring me up to speed within like you know 30 seconds, so I'm clicking, I'm like, okay, now I, I recall that one that we talked about. Um, it's uh, it's just that idea of, of delegation of, of the duties in a larger shop that have um, been, uh, it's, it's, it's a, I think an interesting dynamic to, to be a part of and I've enjoyed uh, as I continue to grow uh, in this thing. Sir, be <clears throat> sir, before coming out here, you were the XO at Real Soul Northwest. So if we're gonna talk about that for a second, um, what advice would you give to junior judge advocates? What non-boilerplate kind of advice would you give both, I guess, to first tours and then to second and third tours and then to first tour 04s? Because I think it would be a little bit different at each stage. What would you say to them? Um, so uh, first, hello to the Pacific Northwest, if anyone's listening. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to the Pacific Northwest, of course. Uh, so my old folks at Real Estate Northwest. Um, but I love that XO job because I got to do just that, which was to work with a, a number of junior officers as they continued to grow in their careers. Um, and as far as advice for them, um, it kind of goes back to one of the first questions we talked about, about being a good staff officer, which is um, I don't necessarily need the judge advocate who's walking in the door to be the you know, the ace uh, student in law school who is the most awesome, you know, let's say substantive lawyer on the planet. What I really need from the junior officer is someone who is willing to learn how to be a leader, to start leading now, to um, take a very professional approach to their to their job as a, as a judge advocate. Um, and it's really some sort of simple things. Um, 
I recall getting, uh, maybe you remember, and I think PDOs send them out from time to time, but those uh, leadership emails that you'll get, um, I think it used to be Admiral Klein that, that sent them out and around. And I got this one slide um, uh, from, from one of those uh, uh, attached PowerPoint, and I actually, it kind of hit me enough that I printed it out and I keep it with me at all the jobs I go to, and it's this picture of a whiteboard, and it says 10 things that require zero talent. And I actually had that up on my wall at Rolso Northwest, and, I, and if the thing I could just tell any junior officer is if you could just do these 10 things that don't require any talent at all, you would be way ahead of the curve, I think, as a successful judge advocate. So, so number one says being on time. Number two says work ethic. Number three says effort. Number four says body language. That's at you, Danny Mangle. I'm pointing that at you. <laughs> Five is energy, I'm not gonna which you have plenty of energy. Six is uh, attitude, which, uh, which is important. Seven is passion. Uh, passion is very important. Eight, most importantly for any junior officer, is being coachable. Nine is doing extra, and 10 is being prepared. I swear if you could just do those 10 things, and I fail every day at some of those, one of those 10 things, but if, if, you, if all of us can just do those 10 things, um, you would be an outstanding judge advocate. Um, the other thing I would tell any junior officer is just keep raising your hand and go after every opportunity you, you can as you're able, depending on your you know, circumstances of, of, of the position. So if that means that there's an opportunity to go see, you know, raise your hand for it. Uh, as you look at future jobs and opportunities, um, if you can, look at going um, you know, overseas, look at going to sea, look at going to DC, these, these types of things. Um, and one thing that I've learned over time is, and, and uh, actually a, another mentor of mine has told me in the past and it's stuck with me, is that your life never gets simpler as you get older. Um, you tend to, most tend to start out as single and alone and it's yourself. And over time you collect people and pets and things in your life. Horses. And, horses, yeah, <laughs> not in my case. <laughs> um, but you, you collect these things over time and your life just gets busier, it just gets more complex. So what I definitely advocate for the, the junior officers in the crowd is go out and raise your hand and do all those things that you can now. Um, and you may think you'll have that opportunity later, but what I've learned to cherish is that when you go underway or when you do go overseas or when you take, let's say, an IA or, or some other opportunity, um, you realize that might be it. And then you're going to look back on a career and you'll look very fondly upon your time when you were in X location doing this really odd thing and realize that's the only time that you get to do that in X location and really odd thing. And then you'll get nostalgic for doing those things and realize that that was your one time. So, uh, so I would say you really try to seize those opportunities early and often because you don't know when they're going to come along again. Okay, thanks, sir. I'm glad you brought that up to segue into. I want to talk maybe a little bit about job selection for for junior officers. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times when junior officers are asking for jobs, a uh, constant refrain that we hear amongst ourselves is, "And I don't want to. I'll go anywhere but a NILSC. I don't want to go to a NILSC command." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what would you say though to junior officers? What is the benefit in your mind of going to a NILSC command? Why is it necessary to go to a NILSC command, or even beneficial to go to a NILSC command? I think the NILS command stacks up in your, let's say you have a deck of cards and you start to have a career and you look at the jobs you have and you start to collect the cards in your hand, right? Um, I like to think that the that diversity in that grouping is what's important. And NILSC, along with 
fleet jobs and other jobs is one of those things that you should put in the, the deck of cards. Um, uh, but I also know the skeptics in the crowd, you know, maybe they'll look at me and go, well, you didn't do NILSC for a while, et cetera. And that is true. I, uh, you know, I started in NILSC as a junior officer, and then I did a number of fleet uh, assignments or independent duty assignments, if you will. And my next NILSC tour was not until quite a bit later as an XO of, of, a, of a RILSO. And so I sort of bookended it, if you will, in the beginning of my career, middle, not so much, now a little bit later in stages, NILSC. And I will tell you, I am so grateful to have done the NILS tour um, at, at the time I did it because I learned, the thing I like about this job, the other thing I mentioned is I learned at every day and I learned something new. And at the NILS, the NILS tour, what I learned as an XO is I learned more about some of the JAG Corps um, um, institution and processes we have in place to develop um, our officers to be successful wherever they go, whatever client they're serving. And personally, in the NILSC, I also got to learn and practice and develop leadership skills. So what I would tell a junior officer is, okay, your first tour you're coming through, you're learning what you can. You might then go off to an independent job, or you may end up as a staff judge advocate in a command services shop somewhere where you are both part of the NILSC fold and you are um, serving as SJA. If you're one of those people that I just described, perhaps in the third tour then you'll look at your deck of cards and say, well, maybe I should just do something maybe off that NILS path and I'll do something different. But if I line up about four cards in front of me, uh, perhaps I don't want to have one where um, there's no more NILS skin there. Or maybe if I look at five cards, you know, five tours, maybe I should have more than just my JO tour and another NILS set. And if you're one of those that maybe has four or five NILSCs going on in your, your, your deck of cards, maybe you like, oh, I better maybe try something different. So um, another one of my mentors used to tell me, and um, I believe this to be true, is that there are no bad jobs, but there may be a bad combo of jobs, um, where then at that particular place and time in your career, maybe that particular job isn't the most optimal one for you to choose at that point. But I think that that gets lost in the conversation when, I know when we hear, we all grouse, right? All of us about, you know, uh, the next job or the detailing and we all get our hearts set on one specific job. Perhaps. I do not, sir. Just I want to go on the record. <laughs> I am satisfied with, with the JAG Corps. Thank, Thank you me. for that disclaimer. Perfect. Thank you, sir. So I think I hope I got your question. Um, but, but And believe me, I, I, I can maybe feel the collective eye rolls out there. I have not drunk the Kool-Aid completely. I will tell you, there are no bad jobs. There are just maybe a bad combo of jobs out there, and you've got to really look at your own specific career set and try to diversify. And I think NILSC is one of those. So, for example, if you can be a department head down the road, if you can be an XO down the road, you're not only – you're bringing back all the skill sets that you learned to share those with all the junior officers, and then you're learning about yourself as a leader. I, I – uh, I learned a time. I was, you know, okay. I was a lap. I was a division officer in a submarine way back when, and I thought I learned about leadership then, and I did. I learned about leadership, but I learned a ton about leadership as an XO, and that pressure of being in a triad as a leader in a command is a much different job than being an SJA for perhaps a three-star admiral. There's pressure in both jobs. It's just a different type of pressure in the triad, and that's the type of pressure and challenge that I think any JO in the JAG Corps uh, would want to be able to do down the road. You know, if I could map out a career for you, Danny Manguel or Jen Johnson, you'd, you would want to be a department head or a real XO or a DSO XO down the road one day. And then beyond that, you'd be a commanding officer down the road. Yes, sir. Um, so we have one final wrap-up question. 
Which fleet is the best fleet? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's the fleet we're in right now, right? The, the job we're in, fifth fleet. No, they're all awesome fleets. Uh, I, I, uh, I worked with a third fleet in my past. I love a third fleet. I, I guess I've done a lot of tours on the Pacific side, so I'm partial to Pacific side. Um, the view was better from the third fleet office. Oh yeah, that is an awesome place. Gosh, I love the third big place. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, that's the other thing, right? So someone told me once, oh, you'll, you'll be the striker best trade, that'll be the best job in the Navy. And it, it was at the time, for me, the best job in the Navy. And, and then I was a little bit concerned. I was like, okay, people tell me this is the best job in the Navy. What's left now? And after that, I got to go to school. That was awesome. And then um, I got to go to Third Fleet, and I was like, wow, this is truly awesome. I was in RIMPAC, and I said, this is the best job ever. And then um, I go off to be real so exo back back in the Northwest, and uh, and then I was like, that's the best job ever. I mean, working there and, and working with the people out there. And then I go to Navsen, and I have truly had an awesome time here. I mean, it, the work is difficult, the, the days are long, but we are presented with so many odd issues and great issues and dynamic issues and sometimes driven by world events right you know something we'll, we'll read in the paper that night and you come in and you know there'll be something on your computer about it the next morning and you'll have to react to it and you'll get all these uh, interesting questions so that's what keeps keeps me going around this place and, and particularly um, it's the people too so we've got uh, an awesome team here at NavSense so I will say that my answer is fifth fleet's my favorite fleet for today Thank you, sir. Okay, thank you, sir. If you All have right. Anything else you'd like to add? Or no, I think that wraps it up. Okay. So, uh, here we are, out from NavSent. Take care. You have been listening to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.